Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. When you meditate on that, God said, when I picked you, there was nothing really choice about you when I picked you. For y'all that think you was all that, God said, there was nothing real fancy about you when I picked you. After I got you, how many of us have been unfaithful to the Lord since we've been saved? And then, I mean, if you read the story of Hosea, he had to buy her. He had to go out there and, and buy his own wife back. God said, that's what I did for you, right? I paid the price to get you. You weren't even that great. Because of the love that I love you with, it was worth it to me to have you. Do you think you are a great price to God? God is lucky to have you on board, right? What exactly do you have to offer him? Pastor Bill explains in today's message that God picked us and paid a great price to bring us to himself. He picked us. We didn't pick him. Before we met Jesus, our hearts were prostituted to all kinds of other so-called gods. But Jesus bought us out of that sin and brought us home to him. Let's rejoice that we are not our own, but we belong to the one who loves us with an everlasting love. Now, Here's Pastor Bill in the book of Titus chapter 3 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. In Christ, I'm a new creation. Old things have passed away. I got a new, I got brand new opportunity to walk with Jesus for the first time in my life. I am a new creation. That should liberate some people. Some people live, even as Christians, they remember what they used to be. Oh, I feel so bad about And I, I did that to myself for a while because I used to sell drugs. And when you sell drugs and you get free and you look back at your friends, and people that you gave drugs to, there are people that I remember giving their first sack of weed to. You look back and like, man, I feel bad about, I feel bad about the people that I, I encouraged to drink, but they didn't used to drink when they first met me. But I was the one clowning them, like, you know, making fun of them for not doing it. And then they started doing it. Now they're still addicted to it. I feel bad about that. I feel bad about the people that I gave weed to, sold weed to, and, and now I'm off and I'm all clean and my life is together. And I look back at them and they're still battling and they're still struggling. They've, they've been going further into that sin. It does feel bad. And I used to beat myself up with it. But God, for me, he said, you, you can either beat yourself up about what you did, which is not really, uh, doesn't really produce good fruit. You just feel bad. Or you can look at how hard you went for the devil and you can come over here and go hard for me. And that would be a better way to focus your energy and your time now as a Christian. Rather than being over here moping about what you did that you can't go undo, get over here and get busy for me. And that's been a better focus for me. But I used to beat myself up over that. And there have been times over my walk with the Lord where I've had people take some of my past and throw it in my face. And it'll feel good because it's true. What they're saying is true. But I got to know this. I know I did that. You're right. But now I'm a new creation. Old things have passed away. Hold all things and become new. So I won't be bound to bad feelings about what I was. I'm glad that God gives me a new lease. And so some of you, maybe you're here and you say, man, I've been I've been held up by what I used to be. I pray God will set you free today that you would know that in his eyes, you're a brand new creation. That's what it when it comes down to. God doesn't see me like even I see me. God sees a finished product in me. Every Christian here. God doesn't see what we are. He sees what we will be. He has vision to see what we're going to be. Completely clean, completely holy, completely. That's how come he can love us. Because some of y'all are like, man, I don't know how God can love me. I keep messing up. You know, I didn't, and God just keeps loving me. And he just keeps forgiving me. And does it ever run out? Does God ever just say, that's it. I don't love you no more. Right? But just to make sure, for those of us that think like that, God said, I don't love like y'all love. Right? What can separate you from the love of God? Nothing. That, that, that should just, we should just be, we should just feel so good about that. God said, nothing can separate you. From my, the kind of love I love you with, it's an amazing kind of nothing can undo it. 
Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Not your bad behavior, not difficulties. The devil can't separate. Nothing can separate you from my love. And so it just puts the believer in a really secure relationship with the Lord. That it's not based on, it's not like I'm holding on to God. God's like, no, I'm holding on to you. I love you. Right? He initiated the whole thing. He says, you didn't choose me, but what? But I chose you. I picked you. And most of us, when you think about where you were when God picked you, you were right there. That thing you feel bad about, God's, I picked you when you were doing that. I knew. I still, I was good with it. God gave a beautiful analogy in the book of Hosea. He told the prophet Hosea to do something that nobody would really do. He said, Hosea, I want you to go and get a wife. But I want you to pick a wife from a particular place. I want you to go out on the Broadway. He didn't tell her to go to Broadway. He said, I want you to go marry a harlot. Now, when I'm counseling guys about where to find a wife at, <laughs> that's, just, that's never been a recommendation that I was given. But God told Hosea, I want you to go marry a harlot. And he went out there and he found this harlot with a beautiful name, Gomer. And he, he brought her, he obeyed God, and he married her. Um, you don't see no little girls in our Sunday school named Gomer. Uh, and you won't, I don't think. So he went and married Gomer, and he married a harlot. And then they, they got married, and they, had, they started having kids. And then when you look at the names of the kids, you realize that by child number two, she was cheating. Child number two was, the name of the kid was, I'm not sure it's mine. Child number three, that's, I mean, you go look it up, that's exactly what it means. Child number three, it was, the name was, I know it's not mine. And so that's unfaithfulness in the marriage. And then it says that she left him and went back to her harlotry. She, she said, I'm done with you. I'm going to be back out there doing what I was doing. And then God said this. He tells Hosea. Now, I would think if you have a man came counseling, he said, man, I married this girl. And then she had one kid for me. And then she had another kid that it might have been his. And this third kid, I know for a fact, is theirs. And then she went back and now she's out on the Broadway doing that again. I would say, well, man. Maybe you just need to start all over again. Maybe it's not work out for you. God told Hosea, interest, he said, I want you to go again. Go again and love a woman that's being loved by a lover. That was the, the phrase. And he says, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel. God said, look, I want you to go again. Go get her. While she's cheating against, she's cheating right now. Go get her and take her back. And God says, that's how I love you. And so when you meditate on that, God says, when I picked you, there's nothing really choice about you. When I picked you for y'all that think you was all that God said, there's nothing real fancy about you when I picked you after I got you. How many of us have been unfaithful to the Lord since we've been saved? And then I mean, if you read the story, Hosea, he had to buy her. He had to go out there and, and buy his own wife back. God said, that's what I did for you. Right. I paid the price to get you. You weren't even that great because of the love that I love you with. It was worth it to me to have you. And then what God tells Hosea, he says, now we're going to start this new relationship after he buys her back. Said, so now we're going to be in covenant. You're going to be faithful to me and I'm going to work in your life and I'm going to do things in your life and God establish a new relationship. That's what God's done for us. So when I, when, I re, when I remember the kind of way, the way that God loves me, it should just bring me to a place of, so the question is never going to be God's love for me. We should just be secure as possible in that regard. God loves me. He loves me. He loves me. And he loves me with a kind of love that nobody else loves me with. It's amazing the love God loves me with. And there's nothing I could do to mess it up. There's nothing I could do to earn it to begin with. He loves me, period. Now, the rest of my life, what I get to do is respond to that love. That's why it's so offensive when people reject the gospel. Because God said, look, look at how I love you. Look at what I've done for you. I love you so much I died in your place. I took your, your crimes against God. I, I took them upon my shoulders. I paid in full form and I offered you forgiveness for free if you would come to me. You would receive me as Lord. So when a person says, nah, I don't receive you as Lord because, because what? 
I mean, I know you love me. I know you did all that stuff for me, but I don't receive it because I want to go in and do whatever I'm doing. God said, well, then there ain't no other way for you. There's no there. That, that's how come they go to hell. That's how come people will go to hell. God said, look, I've done all that could be done to save you. But the one thing God won't do is take away your free will. God won't make you choose him back. He wants it to be because because it's not a love relationship if somebody makes you choose. Right. When I wanted to marry my wife, um, if I put a gun to her head and said, will you marry me? <laughs> and start twitching like this, you know what I'm saying? And she said, yes, I will marry. I mean, that's not a love relationship. That's a, you know, you're going to blow my brains out if I don't. That wouldn't be a, a, a sweet relationship. It, what it is is when you say, look, I, I, I'll choose you over all the other women in the rest of the world for the rest of my life to be with you. And so I bought you this little bitty diamond as a proof <laughs> that I mean everything I'm saying. Now, if she says, I feel the same way, yes, I do, then now we both have chosen each other. We had other options. There were other places you could have been, but we said above all the other options, I choose you, you choose me. That's what makes a marriage a beautiful thing. Two people that have decided, have chosen to love one another. God says, I love you, no doubt. And the question is, do we, do we respond to his love correctly? What's the correct way to respond to the love of God? Just to submit. Just say, yes, Lord, thank you for loving me. You have my life. It's yours. And that's where we come to next, the goal of salvation. This is what we were when we weren't saved. This is what God did to save us. Now what? Verse six, it says, whom he poured out, speaking about the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And so, again, he poured out the Holy Spirit abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. We we've been justified. And you guys know what does that word justified means? It means just as if I never sinned. God makes me just. It's like going to court guilty, standing before the judge and being told that, you know, now I've been justified. It's just like I never did it. But I did do it. I did speed. I did break the law. I did break the rule. I did break the law, but I get to walk away like I never did it. Justification. That's a, that's a work that God does in the heart of every believer. God justifies you. It's him causing me to be what I'm not in reality, but I get to walk in his justification. It's a work of the Holy Spirit and the life of the believer. Something else for which we should be very thankful. By his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's another thing. We are heirs with Christ. Now, if you're, you know, you may have parents that didn't have much. And when they die, they didn't leave much. Some people, parents die and they leave you stuff to pay for when they die. Uh, it's like <laughs> they didn't have anything taken care of. But sometimes people have rich parents. And they die. You're, if you're the heir, all that they had is left to you. God says, hey, I, you, you get to be heir with me of everything. Now, what doesn't God have? Everything belongs to him. So you get to be heirs with me. Everything, all, my, all, all that I have. That's why heaven is something to be hopeless. It's something to be looked forward to for the believer. God says, 1 Corinthians 2, 9, eye is not seen, nor ear heard, nor have it entered into the hearts of man. The things that God has prepared for those who love him. God says, man, the things you've never seen, you've never heard, you've never dreamed it in your wildest imagination, what I've set aside and prepared for the people that love me. You're going to be an heir of wonderful things. Yes, of life. Yes, of heaven. Yes, of pre being in my presence. Yes, of all the glories of, of heaven. And we don't even know what what's heaven's going to be like. Because the one person that got a glimpse, the Apostle Paul, when he got back, Paul said, the things I saw. Who? He said, it would be a crime for me to put it into human words, what I saw. I'm not even going to speak on it. That's why I'm pretty skeptical about all these people talking about they died and went to heaven and come back and write a book and sell it to you. Paul said, I saw it. It's in the Bible, so I know he did. He said, what I saw, human words would not do it justice. I'm going to just be quiet. But when I look at how we live, I know he was looking forward to going. 
right? Romans 8.18, Paul been beaten, abused. He says, man, for the sufferings, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul, man, I got a vision of heaven. I'm, I'm, I'm cool. I don't care. You, th- there was nothing people on earth could do to stop him. They beat him, stone him, jail him, threaten him. And Paul said, man, for me to live is Christ and what? Die is gain. I consider death a victory. Well, how do you stop a guy that says, if I'm going to live, I'm going to live for Christ. And if you kill me, that's a benefit to me, too. So what? You tell me to stop preaching? Get a, you know, you just can't stop a guy like that, that, that. That feels like death is a victory. I can't wait to die. At one point, Paul said, man, I can't. I'm just, I, I don't know if it's better. I want to die and go be with the Lord. But then I need to be here to help y'all get there, too. And so he said, I'm just torn. You know, he was torn on earth like, man, I, I see the, the validity of my ministry on earth to help people come to Christ. And he said, man, I had a glimpse. And, and I can't wait to be there. And he said, I'm torn now. I, I, I'm looking forward to going, but I'm going to go ahead and finish out strong. And he did. He finished out strong. Everything God gave him to do. But when I look at a man that had a glimpse of it, how he lived, it speaks to me. That, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Verse eight. Now, this is a faithful saying. And these things I want you to affirm constantly. And so result of salvation Paul's telling Titus, I want you to affirm these. This is a faithful saying, and I want you to affirm these things constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable for men. Everybody here saves those who have believed in God. It says they should be careful to maintain good works. And I say this, but I'm going to say it now. God have never called any Christian to get saved and then be content to be saved for the rest of their existence as a Christian. Everybody's called to do something. Every Christian has something to offer, something to do, some spiritual gift, some ability. You have something to offer, whatever it may be. God said, I, 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 it's, it's a faithful saying. I want you to affirm it. I want you to tell people constantly, get busy, find something you can do for the Lord. Find you something that you're doing for God. There's so much to do. You could pray, you could study, you could teach, you could serve, you could help, you can clean, you can build, you can wipe, you can, you, whatever. There's a million and one things you could do something, right? You've been saved and you're like, yeah, I'm just kind of sitting around. I'm going on year 10. Don't really feel called to teach. Don't really want to serve. Don't really want to clean. It's like God said, look, every Christian is supposed to be doing something. And sometimes the reason why people as believers lose heart, there are times where people seem to sway back and forth. And their walk with the Lord, never put their hands in the plow. There's something exciting about getting involved in the war, getting involved, involved in the work. There, there are, for me personally, I look at going from, I was a Christian at one point, then I got involved in serving at another place. And I realized that in service, there's a lot of different things that come up. Yes, there's warfare. Yes, there's challenges. Yes, you get stretched beyond, you know, you get stretched and, you know, where you're going to be doing things that you feel like I'm not capable of doing these things. And so God said, good, then you need me and your weakness. I'm made strong. Do what you don't want to do. Do what you're afraid to do. And in all those things, as you keep going, you know God in a greater way. You experience his grace in a greater way. You're experiencing God's strength in your life and, and your weakness. He's being made strong. And so, you know, God better through service than you do. Just, you know, you could be sitting there and, and kind of know it in theory. I know in theory, God does this. I know he answers prayer and blah, blah, blah. You get involved in serving where you have to put your face on the floor and beg God to show up, beg God to help you, beg God to God. If you don't do this, nothing's going to happen. 
If you won't be involved, then, then it's, a, it's a wrap already. And you're just looking for God to do the miraculous, looking for God to show up. That's when you walk away from that and it's like, man, I, I, know, I know God. I know him in another way. I knew him before, but I know him better now. So I would encourage everybody here. If you're here, you're saved. And you'd say, you know what? I don't know what I'm called to do or I don't have something to do for the Lord. Then I would ask you that you would be discontented to stay in that sort of place. Because what he says right here is those who have believed, right? Have you believed? Those who have believed should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable for men. So if you say I'm saved and I don't have a good work. You can talk to me, talk to my wife, talk to one of the pastors, one of the leaders. We will pray with you. We will walk you into a place. But you want to find something that you can put your hand to for the Lord. Something. Amen. Verse nine. Now, this is the, the but again. Right. Told us about God's grace, God saving us, God's work in our life, the result of God's work in our life, what we're supposed to be doing. And then he starts talking about the things that get in the way of people that have put their hand to the plow. Um, things to avoid for Christians. Verse nine, but avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. Anybody here ever had ongoing arguments with somebody about spiritual things? Um, ain't it unfruitful? Doesn't it drain you? Doesn't it just suck the life out of you? And so there's a point. This is my rule. I, I know the Bible and I love to teach it. I love to I'm open to debating. I'm open to speaking to someone that differs from what I believe if we can have fruitful engagement in the conversation. But when it turns into an argument, when it turns into something where, OK, right now you are not interested in the truth. You just want to come back. I have the option to say, I'm going to walk away now. I don't, I don't owe you this. This thing you're doing right now called argument. I don't owe you an argument. You know, you ain't my wife. She don't even argue with me. You know, I, I don't owe you an argument. I don't got to go back and forth with you. You're not looking for the truth. How do you know someone's not looking for the truth? When you present them with the truth and they say, okay, yeah, but. Whoa, 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 whoa. Do you, do you not understand that that's true? Because that if, if you just got presented with truth and you're not willing to accept it or change, then why am I going to keep giving you truth? You're not really looking for the truth. You're looking for an argument. Find somebody else. God says avoid that at all costs. And it happens in the church. People come into the church. They like to argue. People come in with another view and another point of view and they want to come and see if they can get you to believe their view and blah, blah, blah. Paul's telling Titus, look, there's important things to do. Don't get wrapped up in that. Don't get wrapped up disputing about genealogies and, and striving about the law of what you can and can't do. He said these things are unprofitable and they're useless. Don't waste your time. Verse 10, reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition. If someone's coming into the church and causing division, so you... You got to talk to him once and you talk to him twice. And at that point, if you're not able to get through, you tell him you got to you got to kick rocks, bro. We've done that here. We had somebody come in here and they were here and and they had a different view of, of, of the end times and their view of the end times. There was not a church you can go to that agrees with that view. It was a it was a, a, a mishmash of different views. I don't even know a cult that holds that view. And so they were here. And they weren't content to just come. We were actually teaching through Revelation. I said, just come listen. But they had to teach. They were like, well, no, I'm going to just, I got to share it. And I got to say, well, look, <laughs> if you got to share it. <laughs> you can start you a ministry out there at the sidewalk, you know, but you, you can't be in here sharing. And he was still grabbing people one-on-one -on -one and say, hey, come sit with me. Let me share this view with you. And I said, bro, hey, let's talk one time. Maybe you don't know that what you're saying is wrong. So we walked through it, showed them where it was wrong, got the yeah buts, and it kept going. So I talked to him again. 
And I said, okay, if you are, if you just are that called to teach, then you got to go start your own thing, but you can't be here. Love you, love God, love the minister, but you're confusing people. What you're doing is causing division. You're causing people that don't know to be like, well, he said this, but you're saying that. And now I'm confused. I was having people come to me like, I'm confused now. And I'm like, that's that because who's the author of confusion? The devil. So there's something devilish going on around here. And we found out what it was and we said, you got to go. So the church sometimes has to do that for the health of the church. You, you, you go to a divisive person once or twice. It happens in other ways. There are people that want to divide the church for other reasons. I've known churches where somebody wants to be in someone else's position. And so they, they're dividing. Hey, yeah, I, you agree with how she did that? I don't think so either. I got three more people that feel the same way I do. And if I can build my team up big enough, maybe we can overpower you. It don't work like that in the kingdom. You find that person. You talking smack about them behind it? Come here. You need to stop that. Go tell her sorry. Y'all sit down, work it out. And if you can't do that, we got to come to you one more time. Third time we come to you, we're coming to say, don't come back. Go out there because the, the, we're going to divide you. We, we're going to subtract you from the, that's the division is going to be made. It's going to be dividing you out of the equation. So, because you know, a divisive person, you go to them once, you go to them twice. And after that, you got to send them on their way. Look at this verse 11, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. That's their condition. They're warped and they're sinning and they're self-condemned. You got to go ahead and send them out. Verse 12, end of, uh, again, the letter here, he's going to be, you know, asking for people to be sent out. When I send Artemis to you or Tychicus, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Send Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey with haste that they may lack nothing. So Paul is saying, look, I'm getting ready to, I'm going to be heading somewhere for the winter. I need you guys to hurry up and get over here. And the reason why he says that nothing would be lacking. If you're involved in ministry, right, it's an important thing that you always, that you look out for whatever your role is. Um, and we're a small church here, but every role is important. There are people on the, on the thing that be, you know, committed to watch children there today. There are people that are being with the junior high kids. There are people committed to do different things over the day, to be out there on their security shift. And one of the things that, you know, you don't want people to hold lightly their their role. You know, someone that says, you know, I'm, I'm not going to make it today. And they don't call. They don't say nothing. They just don't show up. It's like, we, do you realize that we don't want anything to be lacking? So if you got you catch you the sniffles on Saturday, you put in a call and say, hey, I'm, I'm feeling like I might not make it. So can we get a backup in place so that nothing's lacking tomorrow? We don't want we don't I don't want that classroom to be to be to be missing what it needs because I might not be able to be there. That's the responsible thing that we, we look out for it when I'm not going to be here. Right. Um, if I'm, I will be here with, with snot in my nose or whatever. But if I'm not going to be here, I'm going to make sure that there's somebody here to bring the word, you know, that, that nothing is lacking, that people don't come and just say, man, I came to eat. And they, they gave and they gave no food today. You know, we just sang songs and, and had a happy slappy time. They're gonna be somebody up here breaking bread. If I'm not gonna be here, someone will be here. So whatever ministry you do, if you're in a ministry, you wanna value it that way. You may not feel like your role is that important, but every role is important. Every role, every, every, every single role is necessary. You wouldn't have a role. And so you don't want to ever treat it like that because Paul said, Look, I'm I'm getting ready to go, and I want to make sure you guys hurry up and get there so that. Nothing is lacking. I want everybody's needs to be met. I want the church there to be blessed. Now, I don't want them just blessed when I'm there, but I want them blessed in my absence, too. It's not about me. It's about the people being ministered to. Last two verses, 14 and 15. And let our people also learn to maintain good works. Third time in this chapter, he says something about good works. 
to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. been listening to a transforming word as Pastor Bill Buffington has been teaching through the book of Titus. This book is another letter penned by the Apostle Paul. Titus was a respected friend and fellow worker in the ministry. Paul had even traveled with Titus to the island of Crete at one point. So when Paul wrote this letter to Titus, it was meant to encourage him in the work that was going on. In a similar way as people before him, Paul counseled Titus to set up some others that could be trusted to uphold things that were true and pure about the Word and about Christianity. You see, many people were trying to corrupt the Scriptures and were trying to establish false teaching. But Paul was reminding Titus of the things that really mattered and that God's Word needed to be protected. Isn't this how it is today, too? There are all kinds of fronts that come at the church and at God's Word on a daily basis. Being solidly grounded in the Word of God is where your efforts should be so that the truth can be spread. We're happy you have been a part of today's edition of A Transforming Word. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. We believe that life is done better in community, and we'd love to have you be a part of ours. We're located in Inglewood, California, so if you're in the area, we'd love to see you come this Sunday at 9 or 11 in the morning. Or you can join us on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. Find all the information you need at CalvaryInglewood.org. Well, we'll be back in Titus next time on A Transforming Word.